today on Locked on Mariners. Me and my golden retriever puppy are found squatting in a vacant apartment by the building manager who takes us in and adopts us. Very heartwarming story. Welcome to Locked on Mariners, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Happy Friday, gang. As our announcer, Joey Martin, just told you, I am D.C. Lundberg, and I'm still pretty tired from how yesterday shook out. Didn't sleep much, but we do have a few things to talk about today on Locked on Mariners, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, brought to you by the Locker Room. Please remember to download, rate, and follow this program on whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any program here on the Locked On Podcast Network or TLOPN for those of you who are into initialisms and for those of you who are into silliness, Tloppin'. Last night's Mariners game was perhaps the most anticipated game the Mariners have played since the invention of Pine Tar. Top prospects Logan Gilbert and Jared Kelnick both made their Major League debuts last night. This was the first time two prospects rated as highly as those two were made their Major League debuts in the same game and for the same team since 1691. Actually, MLB.com only started tracking such data in 2004. But the Gilbert-Kelnick duo are forever linked in Mariner history now. I'll talk about those two young men uh, in the next uh, couple of segments after this one. I want to spend a bit more time on them than I ordinarily do, breaking down individual players in a given game. They're both going to get their own segments, ladies and gentlemen. While the game was highly anticipated, it damn near wound up being historic for uh, reasons that have nothing to do with prospects, big league debuts, or players with long hair. Zach Plesak was on the mound for Cleveland, and he didn't allow a hit through seven innings. Leading off the eighth, J.P. Crawford spoiled the no-hitter with a line drive single up the middle just over the shortstop's glove. A few batters later, with Crawford aboard, Plesak hung a slider to Dylan Moore, who absolutely cranked it, put it into the upper deck in left field for the Mariners' first two runs of the game. And the Mariners' only two runs of the game. In fact, those were the only two hits. Kyle Lewis had a good game. He walked three times, including an important walk in the ninth to keep the game alive with two out and no one on. The M's had something cooking in the ninth. At the same time, I was cooking my dinner, incidentally. Some delightful garlic and herb chicken, high protein, low carb. I'm back on the weight loss train, gang. But in any case, Indians closer Emmanuel uh, Classe had uh, retired the first two hitters in the ninth with a 4-2 lead, but just fell apart during Lewis's at-bat. The first pitch to Ty France, who succeeded uh, Lewis in the batting order, was way up and in, very close to France's head. Obviously not intentional. The next one was way down and away in the opposing batter's box. Gang, he just lost it for whatever reason. He walked France, then also walked J.P. Crawford, who had busted up the no-hitter in the eighth, and that loaded the bases. France was representing the tying run, so Telegram Sam Haggerty had gone out to pinch run for him. With Telegram Sam switching from number 28 to number 0 this year, and with Malik Smith wearing number 0 last year, I'm kind of wondering if the M's decided to issue that unusual uniform number to whomever the fastest guy on the team is at any given time. 
Probably not. It's more than likely a coincidence, but it caught my attention because I'm a dork. But anyways, with the bases loaded and two outs, Luis Torrens came up and uh, waved strike three to end the ballgame. Speaking about Torrens, there were two wild pitches... Um, which I felt should have been scored past balls. The first was a slider in the dirt, which he did a pretty poor job of corralling. Rather than trying to get on top of it and keep it in front of him, he just kind of stuck his glove down, the ball squirted away, and the runner who had been on first advanced to second. He was catching on one knee during that pitch, which you just cannot do with men on base, and that is the reason why, because you're more prone to a ball squirting away from you, you have a tougher time getting on top of it or moving left to right if the situation calls for it. You need to be as mobile as you can with runners on base to keep the ball from getting away so runners don't advance. In any case, the second wild pitch was also a breaking ball in the dirt, which he just let slide between his legs. This is not the first time he's let the ball get away from him like that. And also, considering the mental lapse he had on the last road trip, thinking there was a forced play at home when there was not, I'm beginning to think that he is not the best defensive catcher out there. Looking at his numbers, he's been behind the plate for a ton of wild pitches and pass balls. In his professional career, both major leagues and minor leagues, 86 passed balls in 451 games. That is one every 4.7 games. And who knows how many wild pitches that should have been passed balls. I couldn't find data on minor league wild pitches with him behind the plate. So while these uh, statistics I'm giving are not perfect, they are at least you know, a good indication. Comparing him with Tom Murphy, Murphy has 65 passed balls in 323 games at the professional level. That's one every eight games. And while it is unfair to compare just about anyone to Dan Wilson in regards to blocking pitches in the dirt, he may be the gold standard, at least in Mariners history. Only 55 passed balls for Willie in his entire professional career, one every 28.8 games. And Mike Zanino, who is also regarded as a very good defender, has a passed ball every 12.8 games so far in his pro career. Torrens is like a sieve back there. He is not the long-term answer behind the dish. Murphy is the superior defensive catcher. He's good, but not great. But he's also 30 and only signed through this year. Cal Raleigh is in AAA. The Mariners like him a lot. If both Murphy and Torrens continue to be lackluster offensively, and if Torrens continues to struggle on defense, there may be a chance we will see Raleigh at the big league level this season. I don't know. I on I honestly don't know. I don't think the M's have commented on the matter one way or the other. While at the same time they said all through spring training that both Logan Gilbert and Jared Kellick would be at the big league level at some point this season. There's more to talk about regarding this game, but we're going to pause now for the trivia corner. And today's question comes to us from a uh, group chat I'm in with uh, my former colleagues on the show I was previously on. I'm not omitting the name of the show out of spite or anything like that. I'm just not allowed to say it since it's on another network and it would be considered competition for Locked On MLB. But anyways, the question is this. And to the person who gave me this info and you know who you are, thank you. Since 1901, only two other men besides Kelnick last night made their Major League debuts at age 21 years old or younger while hitting in the leadoff spot. Who are they? 
I will tell you who are they after this word from Bet Online, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, playoff season gang, and all your UFC slash MMA action. And don't forget the PBA playoffs, which are going to conclude on Sunday. Very excited about that. Before the next pitch and the next uh, ball thrown down the lane on Sunday, Saturday, I believe. I, sh- I should know the PBA schedule. But why am I talking about that? Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get in the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs or in the NHL's case, they're in the playoffs right now. What am I doing? Head on over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts, promo code locked on. I don't know why I decided to rush through that either, gang. It just kind of. Anyways, and answer to the trivia question, the other two major leaguers to debut at 21 years old or younger while batting in the leadoff spot since 1901 are Davy Jones, not the guy from the Monkees, on September 3rd, 1901 for the old Milwaukee Brewers, and former Mariner Jose Offerman on August 29th, 1990 for the L.A. Dodgers. Of the three, Mr. Jones was the youngest at 21 years, 77 days old. The oldest is Mr. Kelnick at 21 years, 301 days old. Coming up, how did Logan Gilbert fare in his Major League debut? I don't know, but I'll ask him when he gets home. Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you much, Joey Martin. We are going to get into the games that Logan Gilbert and Jared Kelnick had last night. We'll discuss Mr. Gilbert in this segment, along with those who relieved him out of the bullpen, and Mr. Kelnick in the next segment, as well as going over the various roster moves the Mariners made yesterday. But first, Logan Gilbert. In the first inning, he utilized his fastball exclusively. He got the first guy to pop out on the first pitch he ever threw as a major leaguer and got the next two guys as well on on fly balls. He only needed eight pitches to set the tribe down in short order, and things were off to a great start. Skipper Scott Skervis was going to limit him to around 85 pitches or so last night as he is not stretched out to the point where he can go deep into ball games yet. He only had the one start in Tacoma. So last night was only his second start since the end of spring training. The second inning is where he faltered. He threw four fastballs to Eddie Rosario, pardon me, and got him to fly out. Franmil Reyes was next, and he started Reyes with a curveball. Then he tried the slider, but he hung it, and Rosario rode it out to center field for a home run. As Kyle Lewis was nearing the center field wall, he was looking more and more deflated as he realized that he wasn't going to have a chance to climb the wall to help out uh, his young pitcher. A fastball at the top of the zone, but in the center of the plate was laced into center field by Josh Naylor for a single, and one out later, the wild pitch I spoke of earlier that should have been a passed ball. That proved to be huge, because Jake Bauer took an elevated fastball on the outside corner the other way for an RBI single. If Torrens had done a better job blocking the ball in the dirt that I mentioned rather than have it getting away, Naylor probably would not have scored. Those two runs would be it for the inning, though, as he got Austin Hedges to pop out to end the second. While he threw only eight pitches in the first, he needed 
21, 22, 23, something like that in the second inning. It was, it was not a good inning. The third would be another rough one. He began it with his first major league strikeout, however. He got Cesar Hernandez to wave over the top of a slider. But then Ahmed Rosario finished a six-pitch at bat with a single to center, which brought up Jose Ramirez, who won a Silver Slugger Award last year and was second in the American League MVP race. And generally, when you put a fastball right in the middle of the strike zone to such a hitter, he's going to make you pay. And that's exactly what Ramirez did. He blasted a two-run home run to make the score 4 nothing. Gilbert got the next two guys, though, and finished the inning by striking out Reyes, who had hit a home run earlier. The fourth was not exactly smooth sailing, but it sure was better than the second or third. The only base runner he allowed was Harold Ramirez, who reached on a wild pitch following a strikeout. Again, it should have been a pass ball. I mentioned that at the end of A block. He struck out three in the inning, and with Drew Steckenrider warming in the bullpen uh, during the M's next turn at bat, he was obviously done. He threw 71 pitches, started out 12 of the 18 hitters with first pitch strikes. That's pretty good. He allowed five hits in his four innings, four runs, all earned, those two long balls, but didn't issue a base on balls. He also struck out five. Other than the few mistakes he made, which the Indians did take full advantage of, I thought he looked great. His fastball looks like it has some hop to it. Hitters were swinging under it for the most part and popping it up. His curveball really looked great. Almost reminded me of Aaron Seeley's curveball. Not quite the 12 to 6 curve like Seeley's was, but he can throw it so it just drops out of the zone for a swing and a miss, or so it brushes the bottom of the zone for either a called strike or a ground out. He had trouble with his slider last night uh, at times, but I still think it's going to be a good pitch for him. He just didn't have feel for it last night. He throws his fastball about 60% of the time, slightly more actually. It's easier to get away with that in the minors. I'm wondering if it would behoove him to throw more breaking pitches in the majors than he did in the minors because I like the looks of both of his, of his breaking pitches, especially his curveball. I loved his curveball. I don't think he threw one changeup last night, which really isn't a total surprise since it is still a pitch in development. The three relievers that pitched the rest of the game all pitched pretty well, I thought. Sort of a reversal of the trend we'd seen over the last few games. Uh, first was Shaggy, Drew Steckenrider, and he went two scoreless innings without allowing a base runner, and he struck out two. Robert Duggar was next, and he also pitched two innings, and he struck out three. He allowed a leadoff single to Cesar Hernandez in the eighth, but picked him off first to end the inning. It was a pretty quick move and a close play. Kyle Lewis had been picked off by Plesak earlier in the game on a very similar play. Duggar also looked like he was utilizing a good curveball last night. Eric Swanson came in to pitch the ninth, and he only needed six pitches to set the Indians down one, two, three. In fact, he set the first and second guys down on just one pitch apiece. Again, aside from the few mistakes that Gilbert made, it was a pretty good day for Mariner pitching. Have you got a question or a comment that you would like addressed on the show? Ah, well, that's too bad. No, no, no. If you do, please send it to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com, and I will address it on the air in a future mailbag segment. Going to do one in the middle of next week. Questions and comments on anything at all are welcome and encouraged. Doesn't have to be about baseball. Doesn't have to be about sports. The non-sports questions, the non-baseball questions, highly, highly encouraged. Sometimes they make for better programming than talking about sports, honestly. Coming up, how did Jared Kelnick do in his Major League debut? I don't know. I'll ask him 
No, I used that joke already. Now for this interesting word from Built Bar, and since I have said just about everything I can say about Built Bar in the last year plus, I'm going to try something different and run the advertisement backwards. That said, Built Bars are high in protein and fiber while also being low in sugar and calories. They're covered in 100% chocolate, they're gluten-free, and the nut-free flavors are all produced at a nut-free facility. Best of all, they taste great. But don't take my word for it. Head on over to BuiltBar.com and try them for yourself. If you try to use promo code ERSAMHAB at checkout, nothing happens. So use promo code LUCK15 instead, and that'll get you 15% off your order. BuiltBar.com promo code LUCK15 at checkout for 15% off your order of the greatest protein bars in the history of products with the initials BB. Built Bars. That's not your time at Rome. Welcome back to Locked On Mariners. Here once again is your host, D.C. Lundberg. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Joey Martin, the intrepid announcer here on Locked On Mariners. Jared Kelnick's Major League debut was probably not what he was hoping it would be. He did go 0 for 4, but he also ran into some bad luck. Batting in the leadoff spot, he hit the first pitch he saw as a major leaguer fairly deep down the right field line. It was hooking foul as right fielder Josh Naylor made his way over to the short wall in right. He leaned into the stands, made the catch, and fell into the seats. Uh, Kelnick's first big league at bat was over very quickly, and Mr. Naylor made a really good play to end the at bat. In his second at-bat, Plesak continued to pitch him away, started him off with a fastball for uh, ball one. Kelnick swung through a changeup off the corner, then took a curveball in the middle of the plate, but just brushing the bottom of the zone for strike two. It was a borderline pitch, and I was impressed that Kelnick took it, even if it was a called strike. He wasn't going to do much with it if he had offered, and he still had another strike to work with. Plesak threw another change off the outside corner, which Kelnick swung through for strike three. This was the point in the game where Plesak was in cruise control. Let's give credit where credit is due. Plesak simply won the battle. Plesak was still on the mound for Mr. Kelnick's third at bat in the sixth. Plesak started, started, started him off pardon me, with another change off the outside edge, but Kelnick got wood on this one, fouling it away. Kelnick watched a change up at the bottom of the zone go by for a called second strike, and the next pitch was a curve ball in the center of the plate just at the bottom of the zone very similar to the curveball he got in his second at bat but with two strikes he knew he had to offer at it he did and he hit a very low line drive down the first base line but first baseman Jake Bowers scooped up the ball on a short hop and tossed it to Plesaka covering the bag for the out Kelnick did all he could with that pitch and it very well could have been a hit if it weren't hit right at Bowers who had to make a pretty impressive play just to keep the ball from eating a up. Once again, bad, bad luck getting the best of Mr. Kelnick. His final at-bat came in the 8th, and he was also Plesak's final adversary of the evening. Another changeup was the first pitch of the at-bat, but it was very low and in the middle of the plate for ball one. The next pitch was a fastball at the belt, but off the outside corner, which was called a strike. 
It wasn't really very close to the corner. Plesak got the benefit of the doubt on that one. Another change below the strike zone followed for ball two. And then yet another change, this one at the belt just off the outside corner, which Kelnick hit out to center fielder Harold Ramirez. He may have taken an 0 for 4, but I was very impressed with his approach. He appeared to me to be keyholing. He wasn't going to swing at anything other than what he was looking for until he got to two strikes. That's a very similar approach to what Brett Boone had in his great 2001 season, and also a similar approach to Edgar Martinez. Mr. Kelnick had a quiet day in left field. Only one ball came his way, and it was a routine flyout. While just looking at the box score for both Kelnick and Gilbert may present two lackluster debuts, I would beg to differ. There was a lot to like out of both young gentlemen. With their respective approaches to their respective crafts, I think they're going to have success sooner rather than later at the big league level. I like them both. They were not the only men called up to the big club yesterday, though. Paul Sewell was also recalled from AAA Tacoma, and he also had it to be added to the 40-man roster. To make room for those three on the major league roster, Taylor Trammell, Wyatt Mills, and Aaron Fletcher were all sent down to the Rainiers. To clear space pardon me, to clear space on the 40-man roster. Both LJ Newsom and Nick Margevichis were transferred from the 10-day disabled list to the 60-day DL. And outfielder Braden Bishop was designated for assignment. The M's have seven days to outright him to the minors, trade him, or release him if no one claims him off waivers. And I think the likelihood of that is kind of 50-50. He has some strong suits for sure, his defense and his speed. But his bat never came around, and he was never going to hit for any power. Whatever happens with Mr. Bishop, we wish him the best in what the future may bring him. He seemed like a good dude. The Mariners organization also added some minor league pitching depth, signing David Huff to a minor league deal. He's an eight-year major league veteran, first appearing for the 2009 Cleveland Indians at the age of 24. He then also appeared for the New York Yankees, the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Angels, went over to Korea for two years, Japan for two more years, and last year played in the independent leagues in the Constellation Energy League, which I've never heard of, and get this gang, he pitched for the Sugarland Lightning Sloths. Yes, the Sugarland Lightning Sloths. One reason that I like this sighting a lot is because David Huff is older than I am. He was born August 24th, 1984. So, you know, that's not too much older than me, but older than me nonetheless. It's still nice to see players who are 36, 37 years old, you know, playing professionally, if not in the big leagues. He is a left-handed pitcher, a switch hitter, has a career 5.17 earned run average in his eight uh, major league seasons. Last year, for the Sugarland Lightning Sloths, he appeared in 14 games with a 3.77 earned run average and an 0.977 whip. Just touching on Taylor Trammell here, he did play for the Tacoma Rainiers last night and went four for five with a home run and three singles. Off to a great start in Tacoma. I, he'll come around too. He just needs regular at-bats. He was, Again, he wasn't going to get them in Seattle. He was struggling with off-speed and breaking pitches low and in, and hopefully he can make that adjustment in the minor leagues, kind of refine his uh, approach, fill up that hole in, his, hole in his swing, and come back to Seattle um, a better hitter. And so wraps up another week here on Locked On Mariners. On Monday, we will be recapping the remainder of the uh, four-game series against the Indians. Guests next week include Nick Moore, Boober Fraggle, and Adorbit Volcano. Also, a special musical performance by legendary guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughn. 
Remember to download, rate, and follow Locked On Mariners so you never miss an episode. Look for us on any podcasting app that can spring into your brain head. Leave a rating and review if, if your podcasting app that you choose so allows. That's it, gang. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Thank you very much for listening. I'm DC Lundberg, and I will be back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski will keep you updated on the latest news in every major sport with Locked On's team of local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. This is Joey Martin for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.